this whole situation, this craziness, it it puts a lot of doubt into investors' minds in the crypto and NFT markets. And for me, I wanted to do this episode this week to talk about the state of the crypto and NFT market now and in the future and to kind of give some insight into the mentality you need through a bull market, a bear market, whatever you guys want to call it, but through periods of extreme volatility. When you don't know what's going on in the world, when a lot of variables affect the market, what do you do? And for me, it all comes down to building, to having conviction in your assets. Uh, keep your head down, build what you've been building, and the assets that you've invested in have conviction in them. That, that's my whole approach to this situation. But <clears throat> this week I had someone whose approach you guys might seem to trust more than mine. Um, I had Mr. TM Lee, the CEO and founder of CoinGecko, the most used crypto product out there, uh, join the show. And he joined the show to talk about what CoinGecko is and their plans, but also about the state of the crypto market. Um, how does one of the, again, CoinGecko is the most used crypto product out there. So how does someone who's built something like this, someone with this insight, someone who was here in the early days of Bitcoin, someone who was there in the community when he, when the Bitcoin community was more tight-knit, close-knit, when it was a couple hundred people, a couple thousand people, you know, Mr. TM was there. So what's his insight? What's his mentality on the matter? And, and how does he view his assets? And I'll tell you one thing right now. His excitement has not gone down at all. You know, he is a true builder. And as a true builder, no matter what the times are, good or bad, you have to keep building. And, and that's, to me, the best remedy for, for a situation like this. Uh, I hope everybody out there is doing all right, though. Um, and I, without further ado, let's get into the episode. The Graph is an indexing protocol used to query data from blockchains, player-to-player -player networks, or just storage networks like IPFS. Why is the Graph so important? No application can be built upon these networks without the Graph. Think about how long it would take to find one piece of data without the Graph. The Graph lets you index any blockchain, any storage network, any player-to-player -player network, and grab whatever piece of data you need to build the application you're building. The Graph also makes data an open market. You can signal your favorite subgraphs on the Graph's decentralized network to earn more GRT. That's right, data is an open market. You can earn more GRT by picking the right subgraphs. The Graph also has the Subgraph Studio, where you can actually create your own subgraph and publish it on the Graph's decentralized network. This means other indexers can come in and signal on your subgraph. Connect your wallet to the Graph's website and start signaling other subgraphs or publish your own subgraph today to earn more GRT. Developers, crypto investors, NFT collectors. Wherever you find yourself on the Web3 spectrum, the Graph is without a doubt one of the most vital protocols to your niche's success. Web3 marks the ushering in of a new technological era. What this means is that all data is stored and processed on open networks with verifiable integrity. And the Graph makes all this data accessible to you in a fast, easy, and secure manner. Visit thegraph.com or check out any of their social media pages to find out how you can play a role in their ecosystem. What timing after everything that's happened, too. Um, that's really what I actually was hoping to ask your opinion on, because truth of the matter is you're someone that I feel like has a very good knowledge of the crypto market. And I actually want I'm curious to hear what your perspective is of the crypto market going forward. But before I do that, how are you? Is everything all good out there in Singapore? 
Uh, well, actually, we are based in Malaysia, so everything's uh, good so far. I mean, we've been following what's happening around, uh, you know, the other side of the world, and uh, yeah, I guess we'll just wait and see, and and you know, just continue to do what we do here and monitor things along the way. So, I guess to kick things off, is <clears throat> CoinGecko is the most used crypto site in the world, is it not? Uh, I like to think that way. Yeah. Yes. How did you, as to all the founders out there, to all the people coming into the crypto industry right now, uh, it's there's a lot of confusion, I guess. How did you get this product to be where it is to start this off? Yeah, sure. I, I guess that when we started off CoinGecko in 2014 or so, we didn't really foresee uh, us you know, becoming one of the go-to places for, for crypto or, or people see like, like lots of use in it. Like we were just... Uh, identifying a gap at the time and, and my partner uh, Bobby uh, and, and I just figured a gap in the market where we wanted to solve this particular problem and it was a, it was a side project for us to begin with. So at that time, um, uh, we saw a gap where people want to compare different cryptocurrencies. There were altcoins and whatnot doing you know, Bitcoin, Litecoin and Dogecoin and all those guys. Um, you want to do a comparison between like which coin has uh, more developer activity, which coin has more, a bigger community size, because the, the, the narrative has gone beyond just uh, speculation that people want to look at fundamental. But at the time, the use case was very, very restricted. Like it's all copies of Bitcoin. The innovation goes like uh, changing from proof of work to proof of stake, um, adding privacy to the coin. So we want a way to compare this. So that's why we created CoinGecko as a way at the time to uh, collect all this information and give it a, a, an easy way for people to, to do the comparison. And over the years, as we run this, we start to speak to the community, speak to people, understand what people really want and then we cater the product to be an aggregator for market data and right now um, uh, what, what people really want to know is like you know what's the TVL what's the market cap the, 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 the industry evolved over time as what people want to see to compare cryptocurrencies and that's where we, we, we evolved the product and uh, I think what really happened was when DeFi happened there's a lot of new metrics that people were interested in and, and we were one of the earliest to collect all this information and showcase it to the market in an easy way I think that's what um, what we do basically, just trying to understand what the market really wants, where the sentiment is, build the tools, get the data, and, and present it to the user in the easiest way. I think you nailed it. I think that's why you guys found so much success. That's why I use CoinGecko is because it does give every statistic behind a coin in a simplified, easy way to understand. Now, you also mentioned that uh, reason for your success is the mark you adapted your product to the market. How do you see the market evolving now with NFTs involved? I I saw that you guys also include the coins that NFT projects come out with as well. So how are you going to adapt your market um, as the NFT market evolves as well? Yeah, certainly the NFT thing has, has uh, caught us. I mean, we, we didn't think NFT would be that big, but as you saw, like what happened in the last few years, like it's explosive, right? Um, and I think for on our, on our side, we have been always interested in NFTs uh, back in 2018, 2019. We actually had some side projects. Uh, if you look it up, uh, you will see that we have minted some NFTs uh, in the old days before PFT was, was a thing. Uh, we just give it out to some of our community users. Uh, we even tried to create um, an NFT forum. We tried to create an NFT uh, wallet as well for people to look at their ERC-721s. So we were dabbling with it quite a little bit, but I guess at the time we didn't really have the conviction to, to even like maintain those products because we are so busy with you know, the crypto side of things or the fungible tokens that we need to add on the exchange, understand the market. So I mean, in hindsight, if we, if we maintain both, I think things would be very different right now. But right now, how we respond to this is we're trying to look at what's the common denominator, like what is it that people are interested in in, in NFTs. So on our side, we, we did uh, what, what we do uh, well, which is taking the cryptocurrencies that are related to NFTs and curate them. And now we're trying to also try to aggregate uh, floor prices 
So you see on our website right now, we have floor prices across uh, various different marketplaces for comparison purposes. So that's where the start is. Uh, we're a little bit behind the, the curve for NFTs, but hopefully over the period of time, as we understand what is the common denominator people are looking for, we hope to build um, a, a, a feature, a product that can complement what they're already using on your platform. That's a very good point because these non-fungible tokens can include so many DeFi aspects. Like certain inc- certain projects are focused on passive income, uh, on-chain DeFi games, um, random just PFP projects. Some of them just like community. So I do see where there's a little bit of a okay. Well, which metric do we use to sell this product uh, for the NFT like researchers? But yeah, I wanted totally. to go ahead. Totally. Like, like uh, I mean, NFTs. The reason why we were, we had a delayed response was because uh, every NFTs are, are different, as you mentioned. Like. At the beginning, it was art that was exploding. So we built an aggregator for, for the art galleries. And then, and then later on, it was game, right? How, how do we even bring an aggregator for game? Because every game is, is different. There are different attributes that you want to look at. Uh, every, every game item has different characteristics. Some of them uh, are, are, are meant to be used for like a youth farming. Some of them, are, are someone can use it to go and play in a game. And then you got your PFPs as well. So these are all different animals. So for, on our end, we really have to choose one and, and start with their niche and then extend to it every different uh, uh, games or every different industry as, as marketables. And I think that's a good point. I think that I'm starting to learn because I've been, what really got me, I was a crypto investor since 2020, but what really got me into the game, like to make me post content and go all in is NFT market. And I'm starting to realize that term NFT is kind of not real. Like it's too broad of a term, like what type of non-fungible token? Cause that could, that's a unique digital representation for anything on a blockchain. So I definitely see your point. And I wanted to ask you, this is as the NFT market evolves, what are you guys looking, what metric have you guys been focusing on? Has it been floor price, transactional volume? Like what has caught your eye about the NFT space? Yeah. So I think on the personal side, I have a different opinion as well, but on the product side, on Coinjeco, based on what we can do, uh, we, we saw the floor price being the, uh, the, the probably the, the product market fit for users who are already on Coinjeco. Like they look, they check out their crypto prices, check out their market care and volume. And I think the natural extension is they also invest in uh, collectibles and whatnot, and the floor price will be the main focus uh, on our side. Um, as for how do we do the comparison, obviously right now, I think for profile pictures, for collectibles, they are a single category that you can compare quite easily. So that's something that, that we can aggregate. But when it comes to uh, game items, let's say, for example, Axie has this new game, and then uh, the floor price for Axie, we need to have a different kind of interface uh, that maybe our users are not used to. And again, not all of our users play Axie, right? So, if we were to build an aggregator for that, it would be a targeting a different kind of audience who wants to play the XE ecosystem and, and what have you. So I think for, for us, like the way we think about it, what's a natural extension of uh, what we are doing right now uh, and then move on to later part as, as things go. And what was, out of curiosity, are you, do you want to say, if not, it's fine. What was your personal opinion on that? Because you said yours is different. Yeah, so personal opinion, what, what I'm really trying to say is uh, I have, I'm very bullish about NFTs. Like I have a lot of interest, a lot of things that I, I wish that we can do, uh, but of course we have constraints. Uh, like I mean, on, on my end, I'm, I'm very interested in game items and I wish there was a, there is an aggregator out there that can aggregate all the game items in one place and I can do my comparison, I can do my management. Like right now I can see like, um, I want to see like, how, how much deal one of my game items is being utilized by a scholar, for example. And uh, you know, that, that's like my wish list. Uh, so I'm always on the lookout for, projects or products that, that people are working on that are related to this. And I myself have played a couple of games uh, just for fun as well. And so that's, that's like my, my Are you talking about yeah, NFT, NFT games? Yeah, NFT games, yeah. So uh, I, I do that a lot. And then even Witcher Land, uh, I'm quite interested in that. Although I don't spend too much time over there, but uh, I think back in a couple of years ago before uh, all this thing, I, I was very interested in following this space. Uh, it was really early to say at the time whether it would work out, but right now with, with Meta and everything, 
there's a lot of speculation. Again, uh, how this will evolve, uh, not so sure, but at least there is um, a, a validation on a stage-by-stage -stage basis that, that, that we're seeing. And I'm, I'm actually kind of on the same page as you. That's the part that interests me the most because I view gaming as a real life simula a digital simulation of the real life. I just in a more fun way, but you know, I really view the metaverse and gaming as like that type of uh, reality where our, it's literally a representation of our physical life in the digital realm. So I always thought gaming would be the primary uh, area of focus in NFTs. What blockchain, I guess this is more of a, a, a fan question, I should say, what blockchain do you feel like I mean, I know Ethereum is the primary blockchain where the most transactional volume is in the world and it has first mover advantage. Do you believe Ethereum is going to be the most the most efficient and best choice for gaming companies to take their products to? Um, I, I wouldn't think so. I mean, at, at this point in time, it is validated that there could be many chains that specialize in different things. Uh, I don't know how things will pan out when Ethereum 2.0 really launched. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of developer um, uh, complication and, and, and complexity for them to take into consideration to port any existing apps or even rewrite their apps as well if that were to happen. So that's something that uh, I can't really tell what, what will happen. But uh, at least we know right now that Ethereum itself cannot scale. And, and game items, as you know, has a lot of throughput, a lot of transactions that needs to be done. You want to get normal people into the space to just buy an item and just start playing. I feel that Ethereum is not the best. So even like the yields that they earn, if they were to rejoin on Ethereum, they had to pay like, you know, $50 worth of PSP, which just doesn't really make sense uh, for it to work. So I think uh, based on, on, on what we're seeing right now, a lot of the games are shifting to L2s or side chains um, just to get things going. And then obviously when, 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 when they have a product market fit and when the product goes, if, if any of those items that needs uh, you know, finality, uh, of course you want to secure that with the best, the most secure chain, right? And, and you can potentially move your asset back into Ethereum to sort of like finalize that the asset if the game is deemed to be valuable and, and, and uh, widely adopted by the market. I think a lot of game developers right now are figuring the adoption curve and making sure that the game is fun to play and people are willing to, to, to you know, own these items. You know, what's also funny is as we we're talking about like the different classifications of NFTs, I'm starting to realize like a lot of NFTs will use PFP projects and then have it like use them as in-game items. So I see now I see, I'm starting to see your point where you're like, guys are, you're trying to find the right metric to measure all this by because a lot of these, some of these projects are tipping their toes in all of them. So it can get a little bit confusing. I personally have been very interested in the Solana blockchain recently. I'm, I'm starting to realize that, you know, I kind of turned a shoulder when I got into NFTs because I, I kind of followed the Ethereum community. But now as I've been, I'm trying to build my own tech product as well. I'm starting to realize that, you know, bandwidth and throughput actually matter and that Solana is actually was built for it to be, you know, a much more efficient blockchain. So I'm starting to expand elsewhere. And I guess that's where I was going to uh, lead into is, do you feel like, um, NFTs right now, they're primarily based on Ethereum. That's where the collector's value is. Do you believe that these non-fungible tokens can find value, massive global value, like they will on Ethereum on another chain? Yeah, I, I think definitely. So that's where uh, the high triple use case comes in, right? I say, for example, right now, if I were to rent out uh, an Ethereum NFT to someone, they go ahead and, and, and play some games or use it for any sort of interaction and there's like a yield being generated there. On the Ethereum side, the value, you're actually losing a lot of value. Like for them, if they were to withdraw their funds, you have to pay like $50 worth of gas fee. And then on my side, if I were to move the NFT around between different uh, holders, or if I were to move it around or even withdraw my yield, I have to pay a high gas fee. So a lot of value is are being extracted over there. And that's where, uh, when you look at PFPs, they hardly move around. Like you, you move around when you trade them on, on, on the marketplace. But in, in, in game items, it's very different. So that's why, that's where the value is being generated from the other chain. For the NFT itself, there is a utility that people want to utilize the high transaction uh, rather than just minting a PFP on that 
that new chain. I, right now, I think we saw a couple of PFP projects on a couple of all these fast chains, but I, I mean, on my side, I just struggle to see how uh, that, that will have high value because uh, people still perceive Ethereum as a premium blockchain. Uh, but that being said, uh, at the end, NFT technology is the same um, across all different uh, technologies. What, uh, which chain is the one that gives you, you know, the, the function you want, you want security, you want um, uh, high throughput, you want low transaction fee. It's up to the developer to choose how they want to position their product and also the market that they want to reach out to. I think it's not wrong to have a PFP project on, on a fast chain, it's that you're going after a different market altogether. That was actually a fantastic point of what you said. It's up to the developers that are creating it to position the product based off the use they want to you know, create the product for. Um, and I guess I wanted to go into the fungible side of things is these NFT projects are creating, now they're creating passive income. You know, I'll put that in quotations because a lot of them haven't proven themselves yet. Um, number one, do you feel like, what do you think of when you see a project promising that to its community? Do you feel like these fungible cryptos that they're going to put out are also valuable products? Do you think that they can be they can have long term success? Are you referring to NFT projects that yeah, somehow like for, has a fungible token? Like for example, uh, let's Cool Cats and Milk. I saw Milk was listed on CoinGecko or Sandbox and Sand. Sand is a much more proven commodity, obviously, but that's like any NFT project that will release its own fungible crypto. Yeah, so I think on, on our end, like we believe in a view that uh, everything that can be tokenized will be tokenized eventually, and there will be millions of tokens. Uh, and that's why on CoinGecko, like, like our, our mission is to build the infrastructure to aggregate an index, and that's why we are following the industry closely. So I, I think uh, even for the NFT projects, uh, if they think that they need a fungible token to incentivize certain kind of behavior, to create a, a uh, you know a flow of economy, any kind of activity in the game, they, they, they would have to do it because the token is used to represent some sort of an incentive or some sort of a, a, a currency within the, the ecosystem and that can flow across different communities as well. Um, whether it's sustainable or not, it really depends on how um, the developer and community is able to uh, you know, make this work. I mean, we, we look at one great example is Axie Infinity, right? There was a boom in, in the economy and then there was a, a bear cycle. And then right now the developer has to really figure out like how, what is it that, that draws people into the game? You can always just uh, uh, you know, keep getting new money into the space and then eventually the, the music will end, right? So for all these different projects, like even Sandbox Sand Token, like they have to really figure out how to make the Sand uh, Token to be something that people really want to hold and people really want to transact. I, I would probably say that the, the, the holy grail is that you want to get this currency to be as widely accepted as possible outside of your game system. Because right now, if, if, if the currency is only transacted within the game, then uh, your levers of control is only within the monetary policy that the game developers can do it. Yeah. But once it's being widely accepted that people are willing to buy groups and services with your, your game tokens, for example, then suddenly you have more levers and, and, and your, your currency won't be so dependent on the success of the game in, in, in terms of uh, its utility and, and value. Yeah. That's actually a very good point. Whereas now I see what you're saying. You're trying to hit multiple verticals as the creator of this coin, not just within your game. Um, I was going to ask you this now. <clears throat> you just said that I, I strongly believe uh, with agree with you where you just said everything in society will be tokenized. I have a lot of conversations with uh, traditional investors and traditional financial people that work at traditional financial institutions, and they kind of scoff at that sometimes. So I guess before I move into the state of the crypto market, why do you believe that everything in society will be tokenized? Yeah, because if you think about it, like um, in, in the last uh, 10, 10 years or so, like when we live in the Web2 uh, universe, right, a lot, of, a lot of all the things that we do online um, do, do not sort of have, have a uh, incentive or uh, a lot of things that you have do couldn't, couldn't be transferred over to, to another thing. Like let's like say you, you are very active on Quora, you answer a lot. 
questions and you have this high reputation. But then when you go to Reddit or a new platform, suddenly you 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 have you have nothing over there, right? So so this is what I meant by by some some things need to be crystallized in in some form, but you can transfer over. So either in an NFT or it's is is marked on, on the chain or it's turned into some sort of social currency, social token that you can bring it around. So I mean that that's one part of it, right? Secondly, is you, if you look at a lot of the things around you, it, it feels that everything can be tokenized. Even like with the, with NFTs, like anything that is non-fungible can be tokenized into a non-fungible token, and then you can trade it around, you can loan that around, you can use that as a as a proof of collateral to to grow something. So of course, infrastructure-wise, uh, you know, we are halfway through there. I would say compared to like five years ago, uh, yeah. this is just like you know, uh, maybe you think it will happen in like hundred years time, but it seems like we are making a very good progress towards getting there. That uh, this technology is there that you can tokenize certain things around you and and make good, make good use of it uh, in, in in this space. So um, I guess in our view, so when we see like, the, the the growth of cryptocurrency that has increased on year on year, like it was start from fifty to hundred to thousand, and now it's like uh, over ten thousand. Um, and and we look at all these tokens. What what do they do? They seem to be tokens that are created to tokenize something, right? Tokenizing memes, tokenizing uh, uh, carbon credits, tokenizing real estate, game items. So so that's that's where uh, that's how 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 we, we end up drawing that kind of parallel that we think that this will continue to go on as the space uh, grows. So I I definitely agree with that. I also think that there's just no incentive. It doesn't make sense for a creator or a brand to not use a tokenized product um, for their communities. I was going to ask you this is, do you, as the market's evolving, do you still view Bitcoin? It, it obviously is right now as, I guess, the market magnet that drags all these coins with it. And do you believe that Bitcoin, because I believe that, I believe in Bitcoin a lot, I do, but I also believe in it that it has limited functionality compared to other coins. Do you believe that Bitcoin can remain at the top of the cryptocurrency market as time goes on and the market evolves? Yeah, so I won't be able to predict whether Bitcoin will remain forever or not. Uh, definitely, it's going to be competition, a steep competition uh, from all the other currencies. But uh, at this point in time, I think Bitcoin has crystallized itself as the sort of like number one cryptocurrency. I mean, that being said, there's a lot of risk and whatnot as well in terms of security and things like that. One percent attack. But uh, that being said, Bitcoin has been around for you know almost a decade now, and uh, it has exchanged hands many many times. So the concentration of wealth has sort of like dispersed quite 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 a bit uh, in terms of um, market understanding, the general market understanding that people know that you know, Bitcoin is the sort of like um, the, the, the safe haven within the whole crypto space. It sort of like moves the market. If you want to go into this space, if they're thinking of what's risky and what's not risky, uh, you will say that Bitcoin is the least risky among all cryptocurrencies. So th there is definitely its place already uh, over here. Uh, whether other currencies will outcompete it, um, it depends on, on the use case. Right? So I think when you mentioned that Bitcoin has its uh, lack of functionality, I think that's sort of like a feature. Because everybody knows that Bitcoin won't, won't change, right? Like if I have this Bitcoin in my wallet, I never have to worry about upgrades or I never have to worry about all kinds of, of weird things that I need to go through that, uh, you know, using this Bitcoin for some purposes, that I need to go and actively manage it. Like it's very easy to understand kind of concept for anyone who wants exposure into a, a digital currency that's decentralized. So that, that, that is where Bitcoin is. And we have seen a lot of Bitcoin competitors and Bitcoin forks that never managed to take over its space. So within, within that space itself, Bitcoin is king. But when it comes to like smart contract platform, this is where things change the game a little bit, right? You got your very similar attribute as Bitcoin, but you can do more. But what that means is that it adds more complexity, it creates more uh, difficulty for developers to upgrade the protocol if need be, and people who actively get involved will also need to understand like how they can manage their, their coin safely and, and things like that. So um, what, down the road, if there are more values being created on the smart contract platform, 
then and, and that that token becomes and that coin become a store of value there is a possibility that it can compete against bitcoin so it really depends on how the space kind of grow uh between utility versus uh things that someone understand and something that's a, a safe asset so you can draw a comparison between oil and, and gold um not yeah not something that i use most of the time but that's just summarize like the comparison between bitcoin and things like smart contract platform ethereum and, and things like that yeah, I think you make a great point, whereas I feel like Bitcoin is more suited to be um, a reserve currency in the physical, you know, in the physical world. As, as I always said, that Ethereum is going to be like the next Internet in quotations and Bitcoin is going to have its place as the dominant currency in the physical world. But as we go forward, uh, things are kind of, uh, you know, unsure right now. Um, I guess after last night, I, a lot of the crypto community was worried because the markets crashed because of the invasion in, in Ukraine. Do you believe that this whole incident poses a threat to the future of the crypto industry as it is right now? Yeah, I think what has happened was quite unfortunate. And I don't think it's just a threat to the crypto industry. I think it's going to be a problem for the global economy. Um, I, I think uh, the, uh, the Western countries are, are, are thinking about uh, imposing some, some serious sanctions and things like that. And that's definitely going to have a rippling effect on, on inflation, like, like oil prices going to go up. Uh, price of goods and services are going to go up, and then the the you know we, we used to be able to uh, trade among each other and and you know, get get the most competitive price globally, and everybody enjoyed that, that the good times. So I mean, that itself is is going to be a problem, and I think that's that itself is going to trickle down all the way to crypto. So um, yeah, definitely I would say that the crypto market is going to see a bit of tough time because if you look at how the crypto market has been trading in the last one to two years, it, it pretty much follows the the tech stocks in the US, like like all of them were going up. Wally, and, and that's probably because of the, the quantitative easing that has been happening uh, because of COVID and, and what have you by all the countries. And then you see a massive correction right now with, with people worrying that the Fed will, will impose a, a tightening of the, of the rates. And um, yeah, I think long story short, uh, it's not going to be that, that, that smooth of a ride. Like uh, we'll have to you know, weather this through and, and, and you know, see, see how things go. That's, that's interesting you say that, that we'll have to weather this th- uh, through. Do you believe that there could be a situation where sanctions are imposed on crypto. That's the part I'm worried about. Yeah, some people are predicting that um, uh, because uh, if countries are being um, uh, sanctioned that they cannot access uh, the financial system or the credit, you know, crypto is one way they can continue doing business with other countries or other parties. And that will, will paint a, a bad light uh, on, on this. Uh, but it's just like saying that like, internet, you know, people are using it for certain purposes and you know, you, you're using it to continue communicating with, with, with you know, uh, making communication that some people want to censor you from. So I guess it's a technology thing. Uh, you can use it for all kinds of purposes. But yeah, I, I think you're right that there might be a po- that there is a possibility of this happening. Uh, how would you sanction crypto? Um, you can go through decentralized uh, uh, channels, but then down the road, uh, how are you going to stop all the nodes that are operating uh, in a decentralized manner? Which is why, like, change that decentralized would definitely have uh, a bigger assurance of your assets being there. You can still transact uh, as long as you have uh, internet access. That's ve- that's actually very interesting that you said that. Do you do you don't think that regulators could could go into like a let's say Ethereum as for an example and and tr- tr- like regulate it down to the node? Like you think that would be a very hard problem for them? It's it's definitely going to be a harder problem because unlike the conventional uh, currency, you have like maybe two to three different nodes to go after. But if the if the the network is cent- decentralized enough, even if you go after one node, another node will pop up. If you go after this node, another node will pop up. So as long as there is someone with internet access, with access to computer or hardware in some country. Uh, they, they, there's a tendency that they may want to spin out a note because 
maybe it's profitable for them to do it or because they want to spin out a node. So it's definitely much more difficult to, to stop a network. That doesn't mean it's impossible. It's just much more tedious and difficult for them to coordinate globally to, to stop this um, in comparison. And I, I think you said something interesting where you said that we might have to uh, weather the storm for a bit. And I guess I was going to ask you, what makes you, in my opinion, that if they were to somehow, in, in the worst case scenario, ban crypto, let's say Russia was using a country that was placed sanctions on, were using crypto to transfer money. I do believe if they ban crypto, the stock market would crash in the US, the, the real estate market would crash. And as you said, the global economy would suffer a lot. So I do believe that it can't stay like that. And at one point, crypto will have to resurface. Where do you get your conviction in, in, in a tokenized society when you hear all these news and everything going on? Like what still like lets you hold that conviction? And I know you created CoinGecko. You were part of that. So I know uh, you believe in this. But for other people that you know, are just getting into the industry, what, what gives you that conviction? Yeah, so, so definitely this conviction has been, uh, you know, before, you know, all this incident unfold, like never, no, no one would have thought that you know, this would happen, right? Uh, uh, where you know, you, the worst case scenario, and, and this may escalate into something bigger. Do, do I still have conviction? Uh, I, I like to think that way. I like to think that, that we as humans, we always find ways out of this problem. Um, and I think for the last, uh, you know, few decades, we, we have been, I mean, there, there has been uh, disagreement within different parts of the world, but um, not, nothing like what we have seen in the last uh, five to ten years, where, where where people just cannot come to some sort of a consensus, right? Um, I, I actually thought at one point that uh, you know uh, crypto would definitely like, bridge the world closer together. Like when I got into crypto in uh, uh, you know some, when I discovered Bitcoin in like, 2014, 2015, I, I thought that you know the, the close knit community were in it for the right reason and whatnot. But even in the crypto space, people couldn't dis uh, agree on things. Like you start to see hard forks, you see people splitting their ways. I know that was like a, a good way to, to resolve this agreement, right? Like you don't, dis you don't agree with each other. You just fork your project and then you go your way, you go your way and, and that's what. Um, but of course, in, in, in the global scale, this is, becomes very, very, very uh, intimidating, right? Um, but I, I, I generally thought that crypto would definitely help solve some of this problem to, to help people move on with things and see which one. At the end of the day, you will know like which one actually worked out well and that will become like the dominant player in the market, right? So um, I, I don't know, like, like I, I like to think that Things will, will hopefully get better over time. I, I can't say for sure, like uh, whether the storm, what does that mean? For us, we are heads down building. So whether the market is up or down, we, we know that we have things to do. We know we have features to ship. We know we have, we have products to, to build. We're just going to continue doing that. I think, you, I think you said the best game right there is no matter the, where the market is, I think um, a lot of people criticize me for this because you know I have a lot of friends that are like serious traders and I'm not this best trader. I just collect the assets and I hold them. I, I'm, I'm in love with NFTs. I don't want to sell. I don't care about the ETH prices all the time. And my friends also always criticize me like, Sina, your, your cool cats are going down. Sell, sell, sell. I'm like, why? Well, I don't want to sell. So I guess my, you hit it on the nose where uh, no matter what's going on in, in the market, uh, I think it's, it's important. It's imperative that we keep building no matter what and keep our heads down. Now, do you feel like that is, you said that that's your way of weathering the storm. Do you feel like that applies to everybody? Do you think that no matter what happens uh, through U.S. regulations, that building is the number one key that all founders, that everybody in the industry should focus on? Yeah, I mean, as, as, as a builder, um, that, that is where value is being created. I think uh, if you look at back in 2018, 18, when, when the whole ICO uh, boom ended, um, only those who, who believe in, in you know, the technology stack and uh, have, have strong conviction continues to build and continues to try to experiment with this product 
and project that will probably uh, create value for, for, for the market. And uh, th th I mean, if, if you are a founder, like, like you should probably be thinking about fundamentals, right? Because at the end, you are going to be judged. The market is going to judge you based on that, uh, based on the token prices and also the success of the, the project. But if you're talking about traders and whatnot, obviously that is a different altogether. Like I'm not an expert trader as well. Like I, I, I can't really time the market. I, yeah. I, 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 yeah, like you really have to actively monitor the, 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 the candles and whatnot. Not something that I do because if I do that, I can't really focus yeah, on, yeah. on the business. Uh, but as, as a builder, like, like I think if you talk to any entrepreneur, they'll probably tell you that, that the same thing, that they just hit down building, delivering value and, and making sure that the fundamental is there so that whether the market is up or down, if things were to continue, uh, uh, if things were to go back to normal and things uh, become fine, then your fundamental will, will, will surface. And, and that's what everybody ends up using. Like all the products, all the DeFi products, the NFT products that we were using today, well, because founders were actively just building uh, before NFT was a thing, before DeFi was a thing, and they were just shipping features and delivering value. And when the time is right, if you weather it through, then you will benefit from, from it greatly. What's, uh, what's really bad is that if, um, like this happens in 2015, a lot of uh, Bitcoin companies uh, were raising money, uh, then after the mount got collapsed, and a lot of them had a runway for two years, but the bear market lasted for three years. So a lot of them, close down their business within two years. And then if they were to hold on to the third year, when Bitcoin price goes back up again beyond uh, $1,400, um, then you will see a whole different landscape today. There will be a lot of crypto exchanges that existed in the past that will still be in business today. But again, this is all you know, timing, perseverance, and there's a lot of external factors as well that influences how uh, founders will end up building their things. Yeah. I, I, I actually really love that. And I, it's, it, that's why I feel like... Uh... Only, they say only 1% of people are successful founders because not that many people, you know, it's hard to have that conviction, that mentality. Um, so I guess I was going to ask you this is, as you said, you, it's important for the founders to focus on fundamentals. Um, and then you also alluded to token prices and features of a product throughout a bear market. When you say fundamental, I guess, how, how does a founder focus on fundamentals throughout a bear market? What's your advice for that? On that? Yeah. So if, you, so if you think about, um, Fundamentals, depending on what kind of platform you're running, uh, I'm just going to generalize things. So, for example, um, the bear market is the best time to tune and iterate your product, right? Because what, what happens, this is based on our experience at running CoinGecko, like uh, during the bear market when the market is much smaller and a need. Um, if, if you make mistakes, like for example, your, your our price calculation had a bug or, or, or things like that, or maybe the exchange integration is broken, um, only a small number, I mean, there will be people who are paying attention to these glitches. But only a small number of them will, will notice about it. And then you can take that lesson and do a retro, retrospective, do a postmortem, and then make sure it doesn't happen again and beef up your system, right? So that when, when the market is ready, when there's more people wanting to access all this data, you are ready to, to scale and, and serve that kind of market. So you're much stronger than it is. So there's a lot of mistakes that you can make during the bear market that, yeah, it will, it will feel bad and whatnot, but at least you don't make a, a big blunder when, when the market is ready, right? So that's like one great way to just focus on your community focusing on niche and build, build the basis that, that, that when the market becomes ready, then you are ready to serve them. So I think that's like the, the TLDR for uh, fundamental. It could be anything, like it could be games, making sure their game is sustainable so that when, when market is ready, uh, you don't have fluctuating crypto prices. Or if you are a, uh, like I think OpenSea, like NFT marketplace, great example, right? There's a lot of key learnings from them for running this marketplace for the last two years before the explosion happened. And they know exactly how to navigate the space. So. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's like one of the few like, like, like things that, that, you know, bear market isn't really a bad thing for, for builders to say. I actually agree. I actually say the bear markets, if you're a true builder, is one of the best times for you to, you know, gain steam. 
what do you know how to code? I was going to ask you that. Did you learn any yeah, programming? I, I, have a, I have a technology background. I have a computer science background. So I guess, do you, from this is more for a personal question. Do you believe like, I, I'm, I'm super passionate about creating my own tech product, um, more so an NFT marketplace, but specifically revolving social tokens and social NFTs. Do you feel like a founder needs to know to have a technical background to create a tech product? I would say that it's an added benefit uh, for founders who know how to code. Uh, if they don't know how to code, it uh, doesn't really hurt to just take up a few lessons just to understand a little bit of, of how it works because you will probably have to look for a technical co-founder. Um, and having a technical co-founder is definitely better than outsourcing it to, to an agency. And why, why as a founder you want to know a little bit of how this works is so that uh, you're on the same page as the technical co-founder or anyone that you hire to, to write your code. Because the, I believe that the first one to uh, first five team members are very, very important that they all have to be in sync. And you want to be on the same page as the, the developer as much as possible. And, and that will, you know, be, will create better morale and also make sure that, that the product, because at the end, you want to have a working product that, that, that scales, right? So uh, knowing a little bit of it, speak the same language, and then you can start getting product market fit and, and move from there. What languages would you recommend I start learning first? Because I've been taking Solidity courses and so a lot of people have been telling me to dive into like web two languages as well, like JavaScript, like what languages would you recommend? Yeah, it really depends on what you are building. So uh, if you are planning to deploy a smart contract right off the bat, uh, then yeah, Solidity is, is something that you want to start because that's where your main value is going to be at, like making sure that your contract works and uh, there's, there's no bugs and whatnot. Uh, and then the web two side, you can potentially get someone to, to build it. But if your product is not related to having a contract deployed, and you want to read data from somewhere and display it to someone and then um, being sort of like a, a, a front-end interface layer to, to find that product market fit, then a Web2 language makes sense. And I think why they would suggest a Web2 is because there's more documentation there and uh, it's been around for years and there's a lot of reference point for someone new who's coming in that can make a reference to at least pick up basic programming first, understand how programming and, and basic software works before moving to jumping straight into Solidity. Like, uh, I haven't seen, uh, I mean, I, I haven't, be able to share an experience of someone with zero coding going through the Solidity. I don't know how they will feel, but definitely if you go into a web two programming language and then transition over there, it shouldn't be too intimidating. Yeah. And my last question regarding coding is what, what's your opinion on Rust compared to Solidity? A lot of people say Rust is a much more, that's why I've been more so exploring Solana is because I've talked to a lot of uh, investors and they, they believe that Solana is better built at the moment for tech products with utility, whereas in, uh, Ethereum's an, a collector's platform more, more so. I'm curious if if it's gonna stay that way for the next five to 10 years, but what's your opinion on Rust? Yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't done Rust programming before actually, uh, to be honest. So I can't really speak much about that, but I think based on, on me talking to some other programmers, um, uh, they seem to share that Solidity was, so Solidity was designed to be very closely uh, resembling uh, JavaScript, which is a web tool language. And the reason why they did that was to get like adoption. But because of that, uh, it's not as expressive or it's not as safe as what some people deem to be. Uh, like you, your, your smart contract tend to have bugs or, or whatnot using Solidity. Um, and I think that's why they have this new language called Wiper, which is supposed to be uh, you know, the next generation for contract. Uh, when it comes to VAS, I think um, it, it is very widely adopted in the web tool side for uh, people who want more control on, on, on the hardware. Um, and that's sort of like transferred over to Solana side and, and they say that it's more expensive and whatnot um, and make them help them to write like better code. I 
can't really share any strong opinion because I don't use them, I uh, don't use it personally, but that's just based on my conversation with, with you know, people in the space. Okay, Mr. TM, and I guess I don't want to take up too much of your time. I, I'm, I always ask my guests this at the end of the show, and I'm actually curious to hear what you say about CoinGecko, but if I were to have a conversation with you in one year, what would you say, what product ideas, what, where will CoinGecko be in one year from yeah, so our, our vision right now is, um, you know, for CoinGecko's side is to be the front page of cryptocurrency. So we want to make sure that uh, we aggregate all the uh, token information, the market data, so that you can get everything in one place. So that's like the CoinGecko side of thing. But in the grand scheme of things, uh, I mean, if things goes well with the metaverse developing, uh, cryptocurrencies extending beyond just trading into, you know, powering digital economies and whatnot, we really think that we are in a good position to um, sort of like empower the decentralized economy, like providing tools, services, for people who want to come into this space. So if you think about it, most people are working in the physical world, like doing their day jobs and whatnot. And there will be a point in time where they will spend a lot of time in this digital realm, um, either just having fun, playing games or socializing and whatnot. And right now the infrastructure for people to come in to do that is just not, not, not well done, it's not there. And uh, the price tracker is one thing that we are working on, but we'll hope to have a multitude of tools that people can use to uh, navigate this space much better. So I think that's like the, the long-term aspect of it. But yeah, within one year, you know, we have a lot of work to do on the political side of things and, and you know, we're just heads down uh, just building on that. What, sorry to pry a little bit more, I'm kind of curious about that. What sort of tools do you feel like could onboard users into a, let's say, eight-hour attention span per day into the digital realm? Like what type of tools did you have in mind? Yeah, I mean, I mean, some example right now, I'm just going to share like some of the pain points, you know, people are, are facing, right, in, in, yeah. in sort of like metaverse speak is that um, so currently there's just so many like, like games out there. All of them are offering some sort of a job opportunity like, like use in the form of a use or even maybe DAOs, like DAOs have, have bounties or some of them are looking for, yeah. for people to contribute to the DAO. But for the average person who are coming in, like, like how are you going to navigate this space? You have to go into Discord channels in all yeah. these different places. How are you going to even do comparison and whatnot? So there seems to be some massive gap there. Like, like it's, it's a way to just navigate the space and, and find which one that suits your, your interest. That, that's like one problem. The other problem is the you know, DAO itself will evolve into something very political. Uh, people will start to uh, you know, find out like, who can I delegate my, my votes to, uh, to to serve my interests and things like that. So you, you kind of think of it as there's a lot of all these web three problems that resembles yeah. the real world and the products and services that exist in the real world doesn't yet exist in, in the web three side of things. And those could be tools and services that someone needs to build um, so that People new who are coming in knows how to navigate. Otherwise, you'll be just going into the server Discord channel, get lost there, and then um, and then get out because you don't know where to start. I see what you're. I see what you're doing when you're expanding the product. Is you you're kind of positioning your guys. So you already are, but as the market evolves, as the industry evolves, and across all aspects, you want CoinGecko to be the primary information hub and I guess gateway hub for crypto for people to get in to learn. No matter whether it's crypto coins, NFTs these game platforms, DAOs, job opportunities, or, or just connections, I guess, CoinGecko should be the platform people use. I see, I kind of see how your the product is evolving over time now.